0: we want to wrap up moses. Last week we left Moses and the people whining and complaining. They're get they're eating bread, they don't know what it is. God sent birds, they don't not really sure if they care for and God provided clean water and the people just kind of they keep this thing going of of god, we're not sure if we really like this deal even though you've delivered us out of Egypt. But I want to remind you of something a verse from Exodus chapter 6, a passage, a word that God had given to Moses really at the beginning of this deal. And it says this, God said to Moses, I'm the Lord. I, am, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by, na- but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant. Now, if you would highlight that, underline that word covenant. With them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. I will take you to be my people. and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Now, this is really interesting and really specific language that God uses in this passage. He's referring to a covenant. We're gonna get to that in a moment, but but maybe you have heard this idea before of, "I'm I'm gonna take her to be my wife. I'm gonna take a wife. And that language would have been really common in the ancient world as well. And in verse seven of Exodus chapter six, God uses wedding language to talk about the relationship he's going to have with his people. He says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. It's like he's saying, I'm going to make you my wife and I'm going to be your husband. Now here, God's delivered them from their oppression, from their slavery in Egypt He's provided plagues. And when they got their their backs up against the wall, God parted the Red Sea. Then they got out into the wilderness. They got hungry. God sent manna. God sent quail. They got thirsty. God sent clean water. And time and time again, they complain. They doubt God. They go back and forth. Always, whatever God does, it never seems to be good enough. But we always see God continuing to deliver and to provide for his people. And now they continue to walk through the wilderness and they come to a range of mountains called Sinai. The scriptures, we just refer to this one place that they came to as Mount Sinai. It's the same mountain where the burning bush was. God had told Moses, listen, I'm gonna bring you back to this place. And Moses, a shepherd who was very familiar with this part of the wilderness, knew exactly where God wanted to bring the people back to. Now, I'm not sure what the flannel graph in your mind looks like for this scene. But for a lot of people, flannel graph, couple of you got that, good. I'm not sure what it looks like, but for a lot of people, it's like this volcano. And people are, are standing at the bottom, just kind of cowering in fear. And there's, there's fire and there's smoke. And, and minus the volcano part, there was the presence of God and, and fire and cloud. But we get this idea that, you know what? God has just had Enough. So we're going to bring, I'm going to bring these people to this rest stop in the desert called Mount Sinai. And I'm going to let them know how this is going to be. I've had enough whining and complaining. I need all you guys to sit down and listen to me because this is how I roll. And he's going to lay out the rules. But that's not exactly what's happening in the story. And I know for a long time, that was my picture of this story. So I thought, how could I show to you guys what the correct picture is really like? So I brought my own story. In 1997, I had been dating my girlfriend, Angela, for four or five months. It's January 97. We started dating in September of 96. We had dated off and on for a long time, known each other for a long time. And there's, there's more to the story than I could ever tell you, but I had prepared an evening that would be about her. And I had invited some friends to it. And, and we were going to one of the fancier restaurants in Central Virginia, our choices were limited, as you might imagine, but we're going to a place where she would know that because we're going to that place, a place that he's never ponied up and taken me to before, that tonight was gonna be a special night. And this restaurant, after we got done with dinner, this restaurant had a, a path in the back and it was, a, it, was a, it was a lit path with a gazebo and kind of a, a water feature back there. And it was just this, this kind of beautiful scene. And I presented my wife with a gift. And as I gave her this gift, she was opening the package and trying to figure out exactly what it is. And, and it was, um, by the way, I have to say something. My wife wanted me to remind all the women in the room that those bangs are from 1997. <laughs> okay, so just keep that in mind as you look on. As she's opening the gift, the gift that was a wedding album with no pictures in it, I began to get down on one knee. I'm so thankful for the friend in the background who was taking pictures. I had no idea he was taking them. And I told her, listen, we've known each other for a long time. We dated a long time. And I had told her previous to this night that I loved her. But now in this moment, I needed her to know that I wanted more. And I asked her to marry me. And she said, yes thank the good lord. And here's why she said yes. She had no clue what she was getting herself into. She had no idea what it was going to be, what it was going to mean to be married to me. And I got to tell you, I wouldn't have really been able to tell her give her good advice on what to prepare for. But the main thing in this moment, this moment of proposal, I wanted to make it plain. I needed Angela to understand, I want to be your husband. I will not share you. and I will take care of you if you will just commit yourself to me. That is Sinai. That is the picture of what is happening at the base of the mountain. Exodus chapter 19. Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, this is what you say to the house of Jacob. in a holy nation. This is romantic, beautiful language from an awesome and powerful and sovereign God. And they have seen his power. And in this moment, this God says, I want to be your husband. I want to be your husband. He's already proven himself. He's already shown what he can do. He's proven his love, but he wants more. And to demonstrate that, he uses his own version of a custom in the ancient Near East called a covenant. Now, a covenant is defined as a contractual agreement that specifies the terms and conditions of a relationship. Now, for some of you, when you hear the word covenant, you think to yourself, God wants to make a deal. God is all business and he wants to make sure that he gets out of this deal exactly what he wants. But a true covenant... And the covenant God is about to propose to his people is really not like that at all. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, God has already promised Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And he did that in Genesis 12. And then in Genesis 15, he's he's adding on to this sweet deal he's got with Abraham. He's saying, listen, I'm gonna make your descendants more numerous than the sand on the seashore, more, more numerous than the stars in the sky. You're not gonna even be able to count your descendants. You're not gonna be able to quantify exactly what I'm going to do for you. And Abraham asked a question. How do I know this is true? I mean, it's not enough for Abraham that God Almighty is speaking to him in this moment. Because you see, in the ancient world, there, there are these stories and reputations of other gods, false gods, stories of, of gods, obviously not real, who have got, who make these deals with people. And in these deals, the people always end up on the short end of the stick. The God, the deity, whatever the story is that you're hearing about, you're always hearing about abuse. You're hearing about how, Horrible they treat people. And Abraham is saying, I'm hearing that this covenant is a pretty sweet deal. How do I know this is true? Here's God's answer. Genesis chapter 15 says this. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Now, Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, check this out, this is amazing. Know for certain that for 400 years, the story we've been talking about, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. and They will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward they will come out with great possessions. You see, in the Hebrew scriptures in the ancient world, you don't make a covenant. You don't just write up an agreement. You cut a covenant. And so Abraham cut the animals in half, one half on this side and one half on the other side. And that was done so that you could allow the blood from those covenant sacrifices to run down the middle and to form a path. And typically both parties would would walk through that blood path as a way of saying, our lives are merging together in this moment. To keep a covenant that had been cut was to experience life to a greater advantage, more life to the full. To break a covenant was to forfeit life or to invite death on yourself. Listen, the primary thing that makes these covenants different from any other type of agreement or business contract is that it is based on relationship. You can have a business deal with people you don't even know. You can get a loan from the bank. You can can see a piece of property and find out who owns it and, and purchase it. But a covenant is not like that. A covenant is between two people who know each other, who love each other, who are already in relationship together. And at some point, these practices of being in covenant together began to be the understanding of people entering into marriage. And this is the picture at Sinai. This covenant marriage would be between these two who already knew each other, who had already been dating. God had been dating these people since the time of Abraham. In the ancient world, there would be a go-between, between the two parties. And that's the role that Moses is playing in the story. He's, he's listening to God and he's coming back to the people. And he says, here's what God is proposing. What do you think about this? The covenant was solemn and binding. And each party would be willing to passionately defend the other party and defend the other parts of the covenant. There would be witnesses. And the children of Israel are playing that role at the base of the mountain. And there would be a document to memorialize everything that the parties are going to agree to and each side would get their own copy. And in that document, there would be a list of, of the blessings if, you, if the two of us keep the covenant together. And there would also be a list of the curses if one of the parties failed to keep up their part. God says, listen, you've seen what I can do. You've seen my power. I brought you up out of Egypt on eagle's wings. The whole earth is mine. I love the whole thing but I want to make you my treasured possession. Now, the Hebrew word for treasured is translated in some of your Bibles as peculiar. Now, isn't that romantic language? You should try that out every once in a while if you're married. Look at your spouse and say, baby, you are peculiar. But here's the story that goes behind the word. It's the idea of a king going into battle, going into war. And he would fight battle after battle after battle. And at some point, he would have vanquished his foe. And then the king has the opportunity to gather all the treasure from the country, from the enemy that he has defeated. And many times that treasure would be so immense that there was more than he could possibly keep for himself. So he would give some of it away as as gifts to other nations or, or maybe to someone who had served him well. But there was always that one particular, peculiar piece of the treasure that the king would keep to himself. The king would have exclusive rights to his peculiar treasured possession. He would not share it with anyone else. If a king was having a bad day and he found himself to be upset or depressed, he might say, bring to me my peculiar treasure so he could be reminded how awesome a king that he is. God says to his people, the whole earth is mine, but you're different. I wanna make you my prize. I want to be your husband. And Moses, as that go between, he has this message from the groom. And he brings it to the elders and all the children of Israel standing at the base of the mountain. And in Exodus 19, verse 8, we get their answer. All the people answered together, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All together they said, I do. I do. I will do this, are you kidding me? This God, this awesome and powerful God, God that has the whole earth in his hands, he wants us, we will be devoted, we will be dedicated, we'll be in love, we will do it until we don't, until it gets too hard, until we slip up. It would be in fact, in just a few short days that the people would make a golden calf similar to a God in Egypt and turn their backs on this amazing proposal and covenant with God. The stories of the Old Testament are filled with moments when these people continue their whining, they continue their complaining, they continue in sin many times and turn their backs on God and they're completely unfaithful to this covenant proposal that God has made. But their story is our story, isn't it? Aren't there moments when we find ourselves in the same way unfaithful to God? And today on this Palm Sunday, as we begin this holy week, this passion week, the question is this, where are you in your relationship with God as you enter into this Easter season? Perhaps for you, your walk with God today is, is characterized by doubt, by lack of faith. Maybe you've been asking God over and over for the same prayers for so long and, and you just don't know where he is. Maybe for some of you today coming in here, you, you would admit if we were just to talk about this one-on-one that, you know what, my walk with God right now, it's, it's a little bit boring, it's, it's, it's a little bit stale, it's a little bit cold and you've allowed something else to become an idol in your life like things we've talked about throughout this momentum series, things like money, like pride, like just wanting more things and wanting to do everything on your own and, and not letting God be God in your life and making choices apart from him. Maybe like the children of Israel would find later in the story, maybe you've walked in here today and you're just, you're just kind of wandering. You found yourself back in sin or, or maybe you've been hurt by others and been hurt by the church and you just kind of almost accidentally found your way in here this morning. Maybe like Pharaohs we talked about a few weeks ago, maybe you've, got a, maybe you've got a hard heart today. Maybe it's like you never left Egypt. You're enjoying some private or maybe even public sin. You're enjoying the false gods of Egypt. And for you, church is not about a relationship with God. It's just something that you do to keep God kind of in your view. You just want to make sure it's there if you decide you need it. But right now, you're fine. You can just keep kind of wandering around apart from him. I want to talk to the guys this morning. Because I know that this imagery can be tough for guys. This idea of we as a people being the bride of Christ and that we're getting married to God. And the guys may be sitting there going, listen, I just... That just doesn't work for me. I mean, I know it's the imagery of scripture, but I just don't feel like being married to God. It, it sounds kind of ooey gooey. And it's just, it's not really what I signed up for. Let me ask you this, guys. If you're married today, you've all stood before a woman and taken vows that you, would, that, you, that you would stay committed to her. And if kind of this ooey gooey feeling at the, at the base of the mountain doesn't work with you, let's talk about it this way. Let's talk about fighting for your marriage. Let's talk about fighting for your woman. Let's talk about fighting for your kids. Let's talk about fighting against the sin in your own life. Let's talk about fighting lust. Let's talk about fighting temptation because you need to keep your end up on this covenant deal. And if you're not, if you're not married this morning, if you're single or if you're divorced or maybe one of our students are here today and, and, and you're just not married yet because there's no way mom and dad are gonna allow that for another 25 years. It's just, here's the deal. If you will get serious about being in a bold, dedicated, God, you are first personal relationship with him, then you will be better prepared to one day live in covenant with somebody else. The more all of us understand about covenant relationships, the stronger every relationship in our lives can become it will impact your children, it will impact your close friends. What if every relationship around you could be marked in this way? That you are willing to fight for the covenant relationships in your life. What if your relationships are all about honesty, even when things don't go well? Forgiveness, trust, loyalty. God gives that to us so that we can give it away to others and draw others to the savior. You know, I mentioned earlier that a covenant always has with it a document and God wrote down what he expected of his people. And the document always has an opening statement and it always has a summary statement and each party would get to keep a copy. And when it comes to God's summary with his people, it would be something that could be easily remembered and memorized. And in fact, most of you already know it. You see, we know the summary statement that God created with his people as the 10 words or the 10 commandments. They are the summary of all that God wants from his people. But there's an opening statement in Exodus chapter 20. The opening lines of the covenant and some have said everything else is just commentary compared to this part of the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 20 verse two, God says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. That's it. That's the opening line. That's what he wanted. Yes, he wants obedience, but it's not just to a bunch of rules and regulation because he knew that obedience would come out of hearts dedicated to him. Obedience would be an overflow of our dedication to him. God says, you've seen what I can do. I want to be your husband. I want to be your God. I will make you my treasure worth protecting, fighting for, sacrificing for, and dying for. It's a pretty good deal if you will first be dedicated to me. But covenants are easily broken. And though his covenant was broken time and time again, we see a God who will not stop fighting for those that he loves, for those that he's in a covenant relationship with. His covenant was broken over and over and over again. And then in Jeremiah, there's a very hopeful statement, when it became clear that the people that God had chosen to be his peculiar treasure, his treasured possession, could not keep up their end of the bargain, God created a remedy for broken covenant. The book of Jeremiah, God says this, I'll make a new covenant, chapter 31, it says, it will not like be the previous one when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they, they broke my covenant even though I was going to be a husband to them. Now, this passage is quoted in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And Hebrews chapter 10, right before this passage in Jeremiah is quoted, there's another opening statement in verse 14. It says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. God says, I'm going to do the new covenant differently. I'm going to create a covenant that cannot be broken. I'm going to make a sacrifice that will cover everyone and invite everyone to be a part of it. But like Abraham, you may be sitting there saying, well, how does this apply to me? How do I know this is true for me? How do I know that God is going to keep his promise to me? I want to show you the story of how God begins to unfold his new covenant at the beginning of Easter week. On this day, we celebrate as Palm Sunday. In Mark chapter 10, it tells the story of Jesus coming up to Jerusalem. I love how Mark says it because Jesus knew what was coming, but Mark says Jesus is leading the way with the disciples behind him. And as people begin to see Jesus coming, they begin to grab palm branches. Yes, many of them perhaps larger than this, but palm branches of every size. And they begin to wave them and celebrate his coming. And the scriptures say, as King Jesus came through town, they began to throw their coats and these branches on the ground. And as they threw them, Jesus continued to walk. He came into the city. He rode into one side of the city and the people are just cheering and it's getting crazier and crazier. People are celebrating. They're waving these palm branches around. And Jesus, the King, continues his processional through the city and the scripture says that he makes a turn he turns to go out of the city to the to the on the road that goes down to the mount of olives and as he begins to make that turn the people begin a cheer they begin a chant a familiar song if you will As they waved their branches and and threw their coats and branches on the ground, they began to yell, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a familiar cheer. It's from their favorite feast, the feast of the tabernacles. The tabernacles are this idea of these little tents that on this feast they would they would remember they would go and some of them would go and live in these at night to remember what God started for them in the wilderness and here on this palm sunday the week before the passover they are excited they are cheering louder than they ever can to remember what God has done for them in the past as King Jesus comes through town. It's like the groom is making his procession to fulfill the new covenant. I was doing a wedding last weekend for a great couple, Trevor and Natasha. We were at um, the Margaret Mitchell house in downtown Atlanta. It It was a beautiful setting. They had rose petals set up in the, uh, down the main aisle for Natasha to walk through. And you know how this works. You, you, you've been to weddings before and you've got one half of the family, maybe the groom's side of the family on this half. And you've got the bride side of the family on this half. And she's about to make this procession. The bride is about to make this procession down the center aisle. Uniting the two families on the path and bringing together really thousands of years of ancient tradition in that processional. But this was an interesting wedding as all are unique. Uh, There was a teenage guy, no offense guys, teenage guy working the iPod to start the music for the bride to begin her procession. So it begins. Dum, dum, da dum. Ba ba boom, ba boom. Bum, bum, bum. Never mind. But the, if you're doing a wedding this summer, I got you covered. Don't hire musicians, it's good. All right. And so I did what I always do. The music had started. I was a little bit concerned because I had seen the bride and she's down the path, she's down a sidewalk under a covering with her dad. She was not walking towards us yet, but the music started. So I stood everybody up and we waited. Waiting is not good at weddings. There got to be this long wait. I don't know what you do at a wedding, whether you want to be the first one to see the bride as she comes around the corner or whether you watch the groom's face to see what his reaction is when he first sees her. This wait went on for longer than any of us anticipated. And so people stopped looking for the bride. They stopped looking at the groom and they started looking at me. In fact, the wait went on so long that the groom turned around and whispered to me, is she coming? (laughs) I said, yes, she is. I don't know if the father had taken a little extra time to spend with his bride that day. He's certainly allowed to in that moment. But what I do remember is that moment and you've been to weddings, you remember the moment. the bride comes around the corner beginning to make her processional and that is how all of us should feel on this Palm Sunday he's more than just the king he's more than just God on the mountain he is the groom walking the path to fulfill a new covenant and not just to fulfill his end of the bargain. Jesus' death on the cross is not about God keeping up his part of the deal. Jesus' death on the cross is about God keeping up our part of the deal. He died, he walked the blood path so that we would not have to. And today, as we look forward, to what's going to happen later this week and into the weekend. We recognize a savior. We recognize him walking through the city streets and we understand that there is nothing that would stop him from fulfilling this covenant. How far is God willing to go? As far as he needs to. So far, that he would even send his only son to die on the cross for you and for me. That's what this day is all about. Where are you today in your covenant relationship with God? He wants that personal covenant relationship with each one of us, and He's done everything He can do to make that possible. On the cross, we see how far God's love is willing to go. We see how powerfully and how strong he is willing to fight in the cross and in his resurrection. And he's doing it all for you and for me. It's personal. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we lift up to you in this moment. Lord, all that you are doing around the world in this week. Lord, all that you're gonna do in this room this week and in the weekend to come. And Lord, God, I pray that you would help us to look forward in a way that strengthens all of our relationships with you. That We might be the people you want us to be. God, teach us to say, I do, and to commit to you fresh and new today. I want to ask you, if you would, to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. This morning, if you're here and you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, God's just been something, church has just been something you do, just something you keep in your mind's eye, maybe just something you wander in and out of every once in a while. I want to invite you this morning to come into a personal covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. God sent his only son to die on the cross for you, to walk this path and to die for, the, for your sins and for mine and to be risen again. Today, if you want to give your life to him, to come to him with faith and trust, I want to invite you to do that right now. You can pray in your own words, anything that says to him, God, I believe that you sent King Jesus as the groom to keep up my end of the covenant, to die for me, to die for my sins. I accept that today and I believe that he has risen today that I might live a new life. God, show me what that means. Help me to walk your path today. If you're in here today and you prayed anything close to that in your own words, I would invite you to go to our help center. Say, I don't really know where to begin. I'm, I'm making this commitment to God and we wanna help you with that. So just go right outside the doors there in the atrium at the end of the service today. We want to give you the opportunity to take next steps and to learn what it means to be in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, we're we're going to end today a little bit differently than we normally do. We started today with a question. Where are you in your relationship with God in this Easter season? We want to take a moment, all of us, to evaluate where we are in that personal covenant relationship today by taking communion. And if you're here to help us serve communion today, I want to invite you to go ahead and and get into your place right now. As they do that, they're going to be setting up opportunities for you to take communion all throughout the worship center in just a moment when we're dismissed. They're going to be near you. They're going to be at the exits. There's going to be some down front. Communion is this opportunity we have to take a piece of bread. It's a symbol of of, of Christ's own body, It's a symbol that says, I believe that Jesus Christ was broken and that he died for me. Just a symbol. There's also another symbol in the cup. The cup of juice that we have this morning is a symbol for his blood that says, he has made that covenant complete. That he shed his blood to cover my sins. We invite you this morning to in just a moment to take the bread and dip it in the cup. Do not take the cup and drink from it. Just take the bread and, and dip it there. And to remember as you do that Christ's death has covered your sins. If you have children with you this morning, we'd ask that you help them with this. Parents, you make a decision as to whether or not this is really an opportunity for your kids to learn by participating or learn with you by an explanation you're going to give them later on. But for all of us, the scriptures say this. Do not come to this table, this Lord's table, and maybe you've heard his Eucharist. Do not come to this in an unworthy manner. If you're here this morning, you've never come into a personal covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, then there's nothing for you to do. You can be dismissed. But if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, then on this, in this moment, on Palm Sunday, We want to remember and begin to look ahead to the walk that Jesus took. And we want to evaluate our own lives right now. The scriptures say, do not take this in an unworthy manner. There may be something in your life right now, maybe something we've mentioned over this series, maybe something we haven't, that's preventing you from having the momentum that God wants you to have in your life. And right now, the Holy Spirit is bringing that thing to your mind in a way that no pastor can do. But I want to ask you this morning to not harden your heart, but to bring that thing before God and to confess and to repent before you come to his table. And he will meet you right where you are and remind you that I've covered that. I've covered that. But it's important that we bring those things to him. God might bring a person to your mind right now that you've wronged, that you have had something go on that's broken your relationship, and before you come to this to this bread and this cup, you need to fix that. If you can fix it in this room, then do that. Have a conversation. If not, you need to commit to God. God, I'm gonna I'm gonna participate in this right now. But we're gonna make this right just as soon as I can. Later on today, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna begin to engage this situation and do everything I can to mend this broken relationship I have with someone else. Wherever you are in this this morning. We want to invite you to evaluate your own heart, to tend your soul and let God speak to you as the lover of your soul.